You'll Die Trying contains sensitive subject matter and conversations surrounding death and dying and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is respectfully advised. We haven't done this before. You know, we have the bonus noise. We have, of course, every episode of You'll Die Trying, where I'm sharing these stories with you, my personal stories, stories about obituaries and stories about death of children and taking things home. But let's take it back a little bit. This is what we would call a raw episode. A raw episode is uh, raw, you know? I recently had the privilege to speak to Brian Waters of Undertaking the Podcast. We sat down for about an hour and we discussed life. We discussed funerals. And he, which I've mentioned before, is a large part and reason behind why it is that we even have continued or started again, if you will, this podcast. You'll die trying. Speaking of... This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Big Turkey Food. Coffee, grab you some bags, some swag, some mugs. If you're watching the video of me right now, what you can do on one of the platforms that you can find me. Anyway, it's a funny, I'm I'm not funny. I do have to say, I recently went to Phoenix, Arizona for the Waste Management Open on Saturday. I saw a hole in one on the 16th hole. So I was there. What's the point of my story? Oh, the driver. The driver said, hey, are you a comedian? Because I'm always told I'm not funny, but they affirmed me. Nonetheless, go over to youldietrying.com, grab you some of that swag. And then also follow me on Insta at Nathan Morris or at You'll Die Trying Podcast. You'll notice my my hoodie here. Grab you one of those. That'd be neat. But anyway, as always, not only is this episode brought to you by your, you know, big turkey food coffee, it's brought to you by, well, yeah, no, uh, EFF, EFF or Express Funeral Funding. You know, the days of handshakes, the days of your word, unfortunately, no longer exist. And funeral homes have to obtain funds up front so that they can carry out exceptional services. And EFF comes into play there. They work closely with insurance companies, allowing you to assign the proceeds from insurance to cover those funeral expenses so that there is no quote-unquote balance due. So the family can gather, the family can grieve, the funeral directors and family can celebrate a life well lived while EFF on the back end works to tirelessly assign that insurance to cover those proceeds, funding the funeral in advance. They also have an option called family pay. It's essentially where they, the family, receive their proceeds from that insurance policy. Anyway, just visit expressfuneralfunding.com. Learn more about how they work closely with the families, making certain that they feel cared for so that you can care for the families. Visit expressfuneralfunding.com. 
Without further ado, I want to take it back a little bit. Let's revisit this conversation with Brian Waters of Undertaking the Podcast. And before we dive in, I want to again say, be sure to check them out wherever it is you get your content. And also a big thank you to Brian, who is a funny guy. Don't be fooled by him. He's pretty funny. And I want to say thank you again to him, to you, Brian, for pushing me. Not literally, but figuratively to keep this going. I'm proud of what we're doing. I'm proud of what Undertaking the Podcast is doing. And I'm grateful that they had me on their show to discuss funerals. Roll that footage. Boom. Boom. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Undertaking the Podcast. I'm Brian Waters here flying solo without Ryan Ballard, but we got a really exciting show coming up for you here in just a second. As always, this episode is brought to you by the Indiana Donor Network. You can learn more by becoming an owner an organ and tissue donor at indianadonornetwork.org. You can sign up to be a donor yourself right there, undertakingthepodcast.com. Just click that Donate Life button. But hey, we've got a fellow podcaster and a fellow funeral director from Owensboro, Kentucky, and part owner, family owner of Morris Family Funeral Homes, Nathan Morris. Welcome to the show, buddy. What is going on? I feel like <sighs> we've done this or tried to do this before. We did try to do this right, right about the time the pandemic started. We had a great conversation and one of those podcast technical difficulties and we're doing it again. So welcome buddy. So I didn't even plug your show. I tried, but failed. So let's do it now. Um, You'll die trying. Uh, You guys kind of did it in a season format. You and uh, Dr. Jonathan Carroll. Am I correct? That is correct. We did a hundred. 13 episodes okay. in a row so it was exhausting you know how it is you all oh, know boy. how much work goes into it and uh we took we decided to take one year off right i guess as the pandemic started uh and and we are going to be revamping the the podcast for season two coming yeah. soon really excited about it it's really fun to podcast. It's really fun to have good conversations, share where you're at, share where others are at, and hopefully connect. I've had that feedback so often that when we have guests on the show, they're so nervous at the beginning. By the time they take those headphones off, they look go, that was fun. Like, yeah. It is just- fun. It's fun because this platform requires you to stop everything else. I mean, like I have my phone right next to me, but it's on silent yeah. and to interact with you. And to have genuine conversation that, yes, maybe we could have it via text message or I could send you a really thoughtful email and say, hey, Brian, love and appreciate you so much. Just checking in on you. But why not do this? And it's yeah. just, we're just human. I mean, that's all we want to do is to feel heard and to, and, and to talk. Kind of yeah. Fun. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the premise of your show, You'll Die Trying, was kind of the struggle of maybe perfection or equilibrium in our, in our life. And maybe we'll never be perfect, but we can die trying. And it's kind of the trying that gets us. It's part of the journey, right? I, I couldn't have said it better. I think you should probably take over my spot. <laughs> no, I, John, Dr. Carroll is like, he's kind of the sweet angel on your shoulder. You know, I, I, I am disgustingly optimistic. I've been told, which actually was a very much a what they thought was gonna be a backhanded comment, but I've, I love it. Disgustingly optimistic. I really believe that we speak things into existence. 
I always have thought that ever since I was a young guy, Nathan, you're not ever going to be able to do this. I'm like, okay, that's the worst thing you can tell me because that's what I'm going to do like tomorrow. I think that we're always trying to be better versions of ourselves with every part and point of life that we're in. And that is what the premise of this show is about. And it's always been about wherever, whatever type of conversation that we've had in season one and those 113 episodes, there's one nugget of, Hey, this is where I'm at in my journey. Meet me right here. You know, yeah. Dr. Carroll says, um, there's something really cool. He says, I might totally murder it, but the obstacle is not in the way. The obstacle is the way. And I find that so profound. Yeah. That's, I guess that's almost comforting in a way that, that that's mm-hmm. the way, um, you know, cause we always look for ways around the obstacle and, you know, I think seeing it's half the battle sometimes, but, you know, frankly, you, know, you and your family and mine and Ryan's here, I mean, we've had, you know, we've had an obstacle in our way for over a year and a half now. Um, how, how's your family dealing with this COVID situation and what's it like on the ground for you right now in Kentucky? When we first had this announced, I don't know if you can remember where you were, but I remember, and everyone was so scared. We were so fearful. We sent everyone home. What I mean by home is obviously it's 24-hour care, so we're available by our phones. But Megan and I showed up every day in the offices. Here is, you know, I'm in my office right here recording in Owensboro, Kentucky. She, the same, and we would stay in direct contact via Teams. Uh, and but the problem and challenge was just getting that information out because the moment that and we're, and we're multi-state, our, you know, more families are multi-state providers. So you have Kentucky and Indiana. And as soon as we got it out to all 50, 60 employees at the time, then we we're having to send, you know, uh, a, amend, amendments to this and this and that. It was overwhelming. Uh, the fear slowly subsided, uh, as you know, of course, your PPE and, um, other, other ways in which to prevent and protect yourselves came out. One thing I'm really proud of is we just kept focusing on the culture. We are proud to say that we did not lay off anyone. And in the funeral profession, those of you who are avid listeners of the show do understand that once COVID started and no one could have any type of celebration, then your celebrations went from traditional full service funerals with beautiful caskets and flowers to direct cremations. So our first 17 uh, at need families in a row were direct cremation. So if you add that up, you know, $10,000 to 3,000 for simple math, that's got uh, water and lights and staff to pay. I mean, it was, it was small business fear, like everyone else had been fearing across the country, uh, restaurants, etc. you know, but we dug our heels in like all of you all have and, and you, Brian and, and Ryan, I'm certain. And, and we got back to getting creative and what this profession is built upon, which is being creative, creating ceremony, creating opportunities for families to comfortably grieve and remember. And that's what we did. But the first, the first uh, little bit was, scary. Would you agree? Oh yeah. I would say, you know, cause there was so little information that was, that was little information that was definite at the beginning. Correct. And I, like, like what you said, uh, I remember where we were when it kind of, 
when it really hit the fan for us was when our university, Ball State, where my teach my, my wife teaches as a professor there, and I attend the, the Ball State. And when we got the notification that they're closing campus for the rest of the semester, they never close campus. And when that kit hit, we we're like, oh, oh, oh. And then, you know, you know, through our through the network that we built with this show, you know, I'm getting messages from both coasts and you know new york was you know that was scary it was like is that going to be here and it didn't get here like that we had that i guess you know they kind of called it the second wave but it was really the first wave for us in the rural area and now we're in this position where we're at now to where it's worse now than it ever was then and the the personal protection policies are out the window so it's it's tough for us here to you know, kind of try to keep everyone safe. You know what I mean? Right. Right. You, you're, that's how it is here too. The first, the first wave itself, we didn't experience that, but like you, we're experiencing the second wave or variant, uh, if you will. I mean, our, our, one of our locations is in Barron County, Kentucky, which is Glasgow. And, um, there's some surrounding outliers and the hospital there, uh, Per recent information, as of last week, each one of their COVID rooms are full with two patients in each room, and you know the death rate has just greatly increased. They brought in the Kentucky National Guard there to assist with admin and other other you know paper uh, type assistance, while the the nurses, the doctors, everyone else are tending to those who are sick and dying. Yeah. Yeah. I I think one of the main frustrating points for me is just how political this whole thing has gotten. And, you know, just the, just the counterproductive of when information is out, then there's a counterpoint that's going to argue against it. And in a way I, for my own mental health, I've kind of tuned out a lot of that and, you know, you just kind of have to, but um, yeah, it's still struggle. It's still a thing that we're all living with. So um, I wanted to touch on that briefly, but walk me into your story. Uh, becoming a funeral director because it wasn't quite the linear path that some may think maybe like me being and Ryan being sons of funeral directors. Uh, talk to me about your story. I, two days after graduating high school, hopped on a plane to then hop on a bus and toured the country um, with a uh, recording artist, recording group and decided that, you know, I was going to be the next Justin Bieber. I wrote and co-wrote uh, an album independently. I toured it. I pushed it. This was before, and this is really before Facebook and Twitter really took off. I was working at, at Starbucks as a barista and uh, was trying to get my record that I'd produced independently into the stores nationwide where they said, hey, we're, we're not able to, to carry the actual physical copy if anybody remembers what a, what a CD feels like or looks like, but we're <laughs> right. going we're gonna to stream your song. Um, overhead in all of our stores so they put it on one of their you know they really were popular with these playlists if you all remember i don't know if you do but starbucks has been known to really create some cool playlists and so they picked up uh, one of my songs and then from there american airlines picked up songs so we started to, to develop a lot of momentum in the in the music world and people were coming out packing out uh clubs and, and bars and working on um, another record and I was talking to labels at this point it was ultimately signed and then they released the project and they shelved the project and they released it I think it was four different times they released and shelved it killing all of its momentum 
which probably argumentatively was a good thing. So I came home and this was in 2010. So I've been pushing it since I graduated high school, been in it for a long, long while, had seen quite a bit of, of success. I uh, was pretty exhausted because I was making people, other people money and arguably probably losing money because you know, you got to recoup, you got to right. recoup what you, you know, what they put into these, you know, tours and, and merchandise. And anyway, I was home for my birthday. And, uh, if you're out on the road and traveling all the time and you're in front of people, the last thing you want to be is what in front of people when you're not working, which I think at funeral directors, we kind of struggle with that sometimes too, right? <laughs> oh yeah. So, oh Yeah. You know, this, this world that I, that I've known, it's, uh, uh, a selfish self, um, serving world. And I'll get to that. But I, I, my brothers, I have an older and younger brother for my birthday. They said, let's go out and have a drink. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. So they kind of forced me out. Next thing I know, this girl named, which is really funny because we're close now. Uh, Kelsey comes up to me and she's like, Hey, how are you music? Oh, how's that going? Which I thought was very odd because Kelsey and I hadn't talked since I was like a freshman in high school. Super sweet girl, by the way, don't want to paint that incorrectly. She's like, are you dating anyone? And no one, no, and no, I'm not. Well, long story short, she points at Megan. It's really, really, really pretty brunette. And Mr. Overly cocky at the time asked her to come over. We talk and I said, I'd be right back after finding out what she had done, uh, because obviously funeral directors aren't, you know, pretty females. They're, this is in 2010, by the way, they're guys, they're men, they're older men at that. And, um, I left and that's kind of the rest is history. The next night we, we actually, uh, ended up being at the same, Owensboro's not huge, uh, same restaurant. And she and my brother, my older brother ended up talking the majority of the night. We became best friends. Aaron, my brother, and Megan became best friends. I was living in North Carolina. I drove back for one week, came home, and I'm really talking a lot, but I'm trying to paint the picture. I sent all my stuff back in boxes. So for the next two years, because at that time, I went to her father, my now father-in-law, and said, I want a job. He said, you're out of your mind. Because I'm a musician. Uh, he doesn't know me. I know nothing about this profession, but I know about marketing, and I know what people like. And I said, I'll make you the best employee ever. And that was in 2010. And uh, I spent two years after that grieving, essentially, because this life of selfishness and self-service and about me, 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 uh, funeral profession, as you know, is the polar opposite of that. So I essentially had to learn uh, and to be reminded what life is about. And it's about taking care of people and supporting and loving and holding them up in the darkest of times. And it's not about me. And the byproduct of actually being selfless is the fulfillment and the reward that it puts upon your heart. And that long story just wanted to paint this picture of just from musician to mortician is just absurd if you think about it, but it fits really well. And Megan and I, 10 years later, have four boys, four little boys. (laughs) That's so funny to think about. Maybe you all took a nap during that story. I apologize. (laughs) We'll continue with the good stuff now. No, no, I think that's really good because uh, yeah, you hit on something there for our listeners, and even because there's so many students that listen, uh, that's some sage advice right there. That that type of personality traits of being 
showy, and I'm not calling you these names, but being showy, being me first, being, you know, the center of attention really conflicts with what we do. It's the complete opposite of what we do. And that's, yeah, that's why funeral service, I think over the years has had such a problem stepping forward to tell the world what we do and why, why, why we believe what we do is helpful because that, that wasn't the personality trait that most funeral directors had. It was the quiet, soft-spoken, we'll get the job done, whether it's Christmas day or three in the morning and we'll do it for you. And we don't need a band playing and bells and whistles and all of that stuff. Um, so I, I, I get it. Cause I think coming into it, you know, just being a young cocky kid that didn't know anything about life, you know, you learn real quick in funeral service. You really do. And, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, not only Megan, if I want to be mushy, but just realizing, cause so many people go through this life and they're doing deadbeat things that they don't want to do. And they just kind of exist. And then at the end of it, what? was it for? What was it worth? And for those of us, those of you who are listening, who are legitimately like sound and solid and, and, and what you love, the nights are long, the days are long, the exhaustion exists. However, do you not get super thrilled and excited to put your feet on the floor to do it? I do. And I just got chills saying that because I genuinely do. I say this, and I've said it in numerous social media posts, and I literally believe it with every fiber, fiber of my being, is I choose you every single day. And that is something incredible. So for those of you who are listening who choose that too, nothing can stop you. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. And hold tight to it. Yeah. And this will be a great career for you. If you can, if you can get that, that it's always them first you way second, you know, um, way second, way second. It's always them first. And the job can in a way get kind of easy at times that, you know, it's your personal opinions aren't even a factor. It's, you know, helping them come to this place of this terrible time in their life, this really the worst time of their life. And there, there, there's always anxiety, there's the unknown because we're not hanging out with funeral directors all the time and to build an atmosphere that they can trust you. And it's amazing what people will trust us with, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's a pretty awesome thing is to, to earn that. Yeah. Yeah. It's profound really. So talk us into, so you've met Megan, you guys, this courtship happens. Her family has, how many funeral homes did they have at the time? One Haley McGinnis funeral home. Okay. One. My father-in-law had been there for ever in 1962, and then he went and served during Vietnam. Which the cool part of this story really is just the full circle. But he comes back and ends up uh, working at Haley McGinnis as the the president from 1978 until, of course, ultimately purchasing all of the stockholders out in 1998. So in 1998, all the stockholders are, are gone. Uh, for those of you young pups, stockholders were pretty, it was pretty common. I think um, I could be wrong, but uh, your, your funeral homes in the smaller communities, people who are who's who would, would buy in and kind of create the, the opportunity and business for these homes. Um, but in 98, they purchased Haley McGinnis. Uh, I'll fast forward. I'd started in 2010. We get married in 2012. 
in 2015, Danny Schapmeyer comes to my father-in-law, Mike, and says, hey, will you buy Miller Schapmeyer? Well, Miller Schapmeyer Funeral Home in 1962 did not exist. There was a funeral home called Burkhead, which Haley McGinnis owned, that my father-in-law managed in Hartford, Kentucky, and he worked with Danny Schapmeyer and D.M. Miller. When my father-in-law, after the service, comes back, he's moved to Haley McGinnis, and Haley McGinnis sells Burkhead. Danny and D.M. go across the street and buy a house and call it Miller Schatmeyer in 1966. So when Danny asks Mike to purchase the funeral home, it's because of that relationship. He said, Danny, I'm an old man like you. Ask my son-in-law, thinking that I couldn't have made it happen, which I don't know how to this day, but we made it happen. That was our first. And to date, now we have 10 locations serving almost 1,500 families annually. We grew in 2015 from two to 10. Wow. Wow. Right. Um, I didn't even know it was that many. So uh, we, we mentioned briefly before we hit record kind of the re- relationship that funeral directors have with each other. And it's kind of an, an arm's, arm's length type of thing that there's there's some communities where the competitors, you will never see them in a room together. And if it is, it could be ugly or, you know, it'll be a peacock fest of who can puff up uh, the biggest and, and, and ruffle some feathers. But my wife said something to me profound years ago, and she asked me, we were driving through town. And she goes, she goes, she goes, tell me about your competitor. You know, do you guys get along? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we get along. I mean, we don't interact much, but you know, they kind of stay in their world and we stay in ours and they market, we market and that's about it. And she's like, well, that's kind of sad. And I went, well, I thought that was pretty good. And she goes, well, she goes, they're the only people in town that know what you go through. Oh, that was heavy. I was like, well done. Well done. And she made a really good point, but you know, when you are trying to grow a business and look for places to acquire, that's kind of a barrier to thing, is isn't it, to how we interact with each other? We, as a profession, and I've said this before, as a profession, we are so committed to the relationship. You call us in your darkest of time. We answer that phone. We're proactive. We are present. We are considerate. We're all these things that, as human beings, we should be anyway. And yet, to those that are in this profession with us that are just across the street, we're none of those things. And this is all overall speaking. So for those of you who have great relationships with your competitors, kudos, because I have longed for that. I have longed to be able to say, hey, you know exactly what I am experiencing right now. You probably have done this and have done it far better than I can. I need to learn. Or we've had a tragic death with a young child. I don't have a a child's baby casket that they want and they want everything tomorrow. Cherokee or another provider can't get it tomorrow. Can you help me out? Sure. We actually have one. You know, those are those opportunities. There are strengths and numbers, which I've learned and seen through our growth, you know, with 10 locations and all of these incredible people, we can pull resources. Why the heck can't we do that locally? And it's unfortunate. And to, t- to your point in regards to, to as we continue to grow and find opportunities for people to continue their legacy, uh, it, that is a barrier. You know, I haven't had an opportunity to meet some of these people. I would love to. You know, that first call and that first interaction, uh, for lack of a better word, is cold. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, it's genuine, but it's cold. 
and it takes a while, but I'm fine with the time. I just wish it could be started earlier. There's no reason for it not to. Yeah. I wish we could change that. You know, when, when, when a funeral home is going up for sale and it's, it's not like putting a sign out in front of the house, no. it, it, I would say it usually starts on the scuttlebutt circuit and that happens through friends of the funeral director, usually towns away, or then it gets into the supplier circuit. And then, you know, they kind of mention it to each other and then they, you know, usually somebody knows if someone else is looking to purchase and a lot of connections are made there, but I know, I know some folks, um, they'll use, uh, some companies out there that are, that real their expertise is in transitions and acquisitions and mergers and all of that stuff. And uh, I know you can get on a list to get notified if there's one being for sale, but we're entering a phase of funeral service where there's going to be a massive turnover in ownership, consolidation and closure just because, I mean, the owners are older. They're some of them well past retirement age. So this is going to open up opportunity, like I said, for that acquisition. And even for young funeral directors looking for a place, I mean, the time is now, right? Hey everyone, it's Nathan interrupting myself. I just wanted to take a minute to remind you and ask you for a quick favor. Head over to the podcast platform you're listening to this episode on and be sure to subscribe to this podcast and to the obituary right this very second and share it with a friend. Okay, and back to this episode. The time is now. The time is now. We will not see opportunities for, for growth um, like we see now. It's, there's a lot of people that don't have that succession plan. You know, this is, this is what they've done for their entire lives to take care of their family to send their children through college and these children are now doctors and pharmacists and all these incredible fields or and they don't want to have anything to do with the profession good bad and different it, it's just is and a lot of your smaller locations which we are seeing your 80 100 excuse me 120 call funeral homes it's not uh i don't know what the word i should use but appetizing from a standpoint of someone who's acquiring locations they're wanting three and four hundred calls and you know, we're doing things a lot, I don't want to say different in the sense of, you know, we're better than, we're doing it different in the sense of a lot of your companies are looking into bigger cities and we are, we've really focused on your rural communities 20 or 30 minutes away from an existing Morris family location, you know, with the people that can continue to speak to the heart of the community in which we serve and it fits right in to our our level of service and our, our area of service, if you will. Like I've said before, there's strength in numbers and we're able to bring things to smaller communities that maybe they wouldn't have been able to have afforded. And because everything's going up too, you're either, you, what are they going to do? What are these small firms going to do? Yeah. Just prices, prices, prices continue to rise. Yeah. Prices continue to rise. The revenue is down and that that's where it is. It's all in the math. You look at what you can afford for a monthly payment versus what you're bringing in. And can you even take anything home? And we know in so many other businesses that you don't take an income for X amount of years that could be similar to funeral service, but we can't eat furniture. We've got to be paid in some, you know, form right. or fashion. So it's a delicate balance. And that's where uh, maybe, you know, some of the larger firms coming in and, and acquiring these rural places. But the nice thing is, is I'm seeing a lot of them leave. They're not just you know, bringing in the call volume and closing the business. They're leaving these there to support a community because 
one thing that's been somewhat insulated from economic decline or consolidation is the local funeral home. And mm-hmm. not that we're off the chopping block by any means, but we've hung in there for a long time. I I agree with that. I think that, you know, the, the intention has to be there. And, and that's what I like to let people know and show is that, you know, we intend to continue to take care of you. And, you know, I've heard it's, it's, uh, it's very common for me to say, well, you're not insert funeral home previous owner's name. Absolutely. No, I'm not. I'm not, but I do promise you this, they wouldn't have sold to just anybody. And I promise you that the level of care that you've received will continue. It may feel different. You may see someone different providing it. However, it will be the same. And I will far exceed your expectations. You know, uh, if we can survive and thrive with the community of Caneyville, Kentucky, then we can anywhere. And I mean that respectfully. They're a tight group of people. They're made up of uh, hardworking women and men, a lot of Amish um, uh, families there. And, you know, they're they're set and knowing what to, you know, what they expect is what they expect. And, you know, you don't, you don't go showing up in a, in a suit and a tie on, <laughs> on, on day one. That's for sure. Uh, not that I did that or anything. <laughs> I see that as you adjust your tie. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I get that. Those, those small communities are so u- unique, you know, cause mine's mm-hmm. going to be different than somebody else's. And uh, it, it is really it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm a small community guy, but I want to ask you, let's kind of transition here, Nathan, because you guys went from one to two places to 10 and I'm going to assume, and I'm going to let you correct me for the record, but I'm imagining that your role has going to completely change from probably being in the trenches, meeting every family up in the middle of the night um, all the time to building this big team uh, that can do this in multiple locations. Are, are you finding yourself more as the manager type, making sure all these wheels are going, or are you still out there meeting families and, you know, doing embalmings and, and talk about that? I call it the dance, you know, it's the dance. It's always, it's always shifting. We believe in, so my focus has shifted to that of culture. I think our profession could work and could take some notes on creating a culture this is not a place that you offer someone and your employees that you work with they don't have to work with you so first we started with this culture this culture of uh safety inclusion creativity uh our number one guiding light like what is our guiding light first we answered why why do we even do this we believe that everyone's worthy to be loved and cared for it doesn't matter which walk of life that's what life is about boom so there's our why so we answered our why then we answered how we're going to do it and then lastly we answered just what we do which is we provide an opportunity a place and the and the products for people to to to, to celebrate grieve and heal and uh once we got that down i guess is the as the the ingredients, if you will, uh, then we started spreading it. So it went from you know location managers focusing on that, curating them, having that uh, taken to the direct report. Um, you know, I could go on and on. I spend most of my time uh, boots on the ground at other locations, uh, working directly with those that I work with. Um, gotcha. Uh, conducting a service, driving a hearse, running the flowers. 
I think there's value in that. You know, when you see we're now in Vincennes, Indiana, and Chris and the, the group of people there are absolutely incredible. And to just show up on a whim, unannounced, and be like, hey, I'm working this funeral with you. If you don't mind, can I do anything? And they're like, uh, I'm like, you can ask me to do something. And they're like, okay. <laughs> it's that's so di- fun. That's, it's kind of different. It's super fun. And I, I believe in staying in your lane, you know, for the longest time, especially in Indiana, which is, you know, you, it, the license is funeral director and bomber. Kentucky, you can be a funeral director and, and or funeral director and bomber. It's it, this whole stay in your lane thing in Indiana is a little different concept, if that's mm-hmm. the case, because uh, let's be honest, Brian, I'm sure there are people that are way better funeral directors than they shouldn't be in the care center, right? But my point is, is we find that lane for these people and we let them thrive. We have, have this saying when we onboard a new team member, we say, you know, if, if you don't like to sing or can't, we don't want to put you in the choir. So people love it. They love it. They are bought in. And from there, we say, take care of the people so that they can take care of the people. That's perfect. So to answer your question, absolutely am I involved? Am I in our community? Yep. Is it, is it awesome? I love it. Do people still call and say specifically, I want to talk to Nathan? Absolutely. Do I still conduct funerals? Yes. Am I part of a lot of funerals? Yes. I do believe, though, that you have to trust your team, too. And the smaller locations, it's a very much a difficult challenge for them. Oh, I can Not imagine. because they don't trust. Not that they don't trust, but that they, that they, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, everyone, need to be there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I, I got to give you kudos for, for jumping right in there. I, I, I could imagine their faces, especially if they're, you know, new team members and whatnot, and just showing up and being like, hey, you want me to take flowers? <laughs> you know, they're like, wait, what? It's, it's a, it's a nice icebreaker. It really is. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, if you've gone to work every day and, you know, it's, it's a, we're kind of a very much a habitual people, people are habitual. They just, yeah. they do their things and to literally put everything that's in your life and just shake it up into this box and be like, okay, here you go. Here's this new, new guy. And he's now the quote unquote boss. And, uh, I want you to come to work tomorrow feeling really good about everything immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, but I feel we do a really good job about, you know, saying, Hey guys, here's the elephant in the room. I'm that guy. Uh, and just humanize it. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's really fun to get to know these people. It's really fun. Um, I want to ask you what your opinion on the job market for funeral service right now, because we constantly hear there's nobody to hire. Um, and, and I think that there's definitely some truth to that. I think there's more, there's, there's more to the onion, the more we peel back to this, but um, what's your take on that? I believe that you are going to attract those who you are like most. And the saying you are like the company you keep, etc., cetera, uh, really holds a lot of weight. And I'm going back to the culture. You can be the most incredible embalmer in the world. You can be the best dressed and have the biggest pool in the community. However, if you do not fit into the culture, it's nothing against you. 
It's nothing against me. It just is. And so we had worked tirelessly to create a culture that attracts those like-minded individuals. Are we having a hard time finding people? We take our time and we are hiring at a large rate women. Women are the future of this profession in a very incredible and profound way. We have some of our key leaders and key team members are female and they're just naturally empathetic. They're comforting. They're non-threatening in the best way. And people are still safe and, and good with them when they sit around the table. So to, to the point, I, I just, I think that this profession is, has a history of hiring to fill a role. And I think there's more to it than just somebody who can successfully prepare a deceased loved one and make sure that they look absolutely beautiful for a visitation. So I want, I want to touch on two things that you mentioned there. The first one was that you, you attract like, like-minded people to your culture, whatever that culture may be. And I just sat here and kind of giggled to myself for a minute. Cause I'm thinking of some of these folks out there, some of these old men that, uh, are having trouble finding somebody. And I just had the vision of my head. So we'll leave and, it at that, but, and uh, they won't, but they won't hire a woman. They won't hire a woman either. And that's and where my, that's where I was going. Um, yep. yeah. Cause, cause this, this, this bit here on, on, you know, there's no one to hire. What we constantly hear that there's always a but to it when I, when we're kind of you know the camera's away from us, the mic's not on, and we're in the scuttlebutt circuit that so and so's looking to hire, so and so's looking to hire, but they're looking for a man, and it's like, okay, good luck. You're you're looking for a unicorn right now because they're not coming into funeral service. Why? Why are you Why are you looking for a man? I've heard because they're stronger. I have seen some really weak men and I've seen some incredibly strong men. I actually, part of the onboarding of any new hire for us with us is uh, if I'm able, I want to, and I've done it with the majority of people. I go on a transfer with them. I want to just be with them. And I learned from Christine, kudos to Christine. She's a, an assistant manager at a location. She had the, tenacity that's the good word she had the strength to look at me whenever i was like here let me help she said i am okay so this is at the time when you're you know you're you're placing the cot behind the vehicle and you're getting to load the loved one on the cot into the vehicle and you know you have to use some strength she looked at me and said i'm okay so that's a incredible opportunity for me it was a mental note so all the females since then I say to them, I will not step in unless you ask for my, for my assistance, because I'm not going to assume anything because Christine could break me in half. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, that. it's great. Um, if you got a moment, I want to quiz you on Dr. Jonathan. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. We don't have to go too deep, but he's part of your full-time staff. Am I right? Yes. He he's chief operating officer. He, ha he wears a couple of hats. I mean, he's, he oversees our HR and also all of our grief care. And he provides grief care both in person and telehealth. And it's a, it's a free service for our families. And it's 
invaluable the number of people who take advantage of that. So if I can, I want to plug that. If, for those of you who are, are struggling with uh, a loss, no, no matter how recent, uh, email Dr. Carroll, Dr. D-R, Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L at morrisfamilyservices.com and, and schedule an appointment. He would love the opportunity and honor to assist, however that may be. But you can absolutely try to test me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give you kudos for that. Uh, this is something I'm seeing funeral homes do more and more when they're capable of, um, and they have the resources to do that. They're offering these services to, uh, you know, their families. But to my understanding, he's available to your staff as well. Is that right? That is correct, and I think that's great. I mean, we all need to we all need to go to to get you know tweaked every time, every once in a while. I think it's important mental health in this profession is, is so quiet and not discussed. And it's sad for me and it's awesome for our team to have him. And he literally confidentially quietly will go and check on it's just a, just a checkup. And, uh, it's, it's really cool for that. And I'm, I'm grateful that we're able to offer that. But I do encourage all of you who do listen and, and, and to really to really pay attention to that for yourself and to have someone that you can really just dump things on because this is tough and stressful and painful. And you deserve to be kind of, uh, not kind of, you deserve to be heard too. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well done, buddy. Um, so I've been driving this bus here for a while. Uh, I want to give you the floor. Is there anything on your mind that you want to cover with me? That I want to cover with you? I want to know, I want to know two things. Okay. One. One, when are you going to come to Owensboro, Kentucky? First off, well, tomorrow. I'm Great, just... that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at two, I do. I do want to say. Uh, recently, you did uh, uh, ask us to uh, offer us the opportunity to assist you, so I want to say thank you for that. Oh. Too. I think. I think it's important to to let people know when they're whenever they, you know, uh, choose you, trust you. Um, call upon you that you appreciate that. So I want you to know that I do that from my heart of hearts. Appreciate it. Yeah. Just twice this year. And uh, it was uh, at the facility that my, my brother and father are kind of home based at, and they've had, you know, well, the first, first death out of state, you know, you need someone to help. And, mm-hmm. you know, basically, and this is one of the reasons why Ryan and I talked about the show and talking with other directors and building this network is, you know, somebody and you're comfortable with them. You trust them. And, you know, they were like, Hey, the family mentioned this funeral home and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's Nathan's place. Yeah. They're fine. Give him a call. And that's, that's, that's awesome. how it went. That's what I want to, uh, of you then for the next bit is challenge your listeners who are in this profession to reach out to a competitor, no ulterior motives, nothing share ideas. Because we're all throwing the billboards up that say we prearrange. Everyone knows that. It's not like you're doing something. It's not like you're doing something that's, um, I don't know. You're going to do it different, yes, but you're not doing something, generally speaking, different. Yeah. Uh, share, share ideas. Share concepts. Hey, limos are super expensive if you do a family limo. How about you and ABC Funeral Home go in on said limo, and then you share the cost, and you share the limo. Yeah. Your volume, uh, your 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 revenue just increased because you don't have the, such a, a, an expense. Those are the things I'm I'm thinking of that are just very simple. But just reach out. That's yeah. what I want you to encourage your listeners to do. Reach out to someone. I think that's great. I mean, Nathan, it's been a pleasure. This was fun. 
this is fun. And it, and it actually worked this time. I see, I see it says recording. Hey, we're recording this time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, this, this is what happened. We had a beautiful conversation about three weeks into COVID, maybe four weeks into COVID, and it just didn't record. I mean, it's no, he's being very, very nice. What happened was, okay, I, I'm, I miscommunicated. I said I had what I needed to do, and they were under the impression that I was recording everything on my end, and it was not the case whatsoever. So, thank you for trying to not throw me under the bus, but I just self-deprecating myself. <laughs> I shoved you right out of the way of that bus. I would have thrown Ryan under it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, so that, I, that this was... is all Ryan's fault. This is, yeah, it was all Ryan's fault. He's not here. So Ryan, <laughs> you blew it. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, totally big fans of the show here. And I think we started right about the same time. Same and, time. Absolutely. And we you guys out. were going two a week. Wow. Yeah. And here yeah. we are at two a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You all are now just as stupid. <laughs> I'm <Yes>. just kidding. <laughs> Hey, I, I just appreciate what you are doing for this profession. This profession needs a lot of uh, progressive, awesome content that it has lacked for a long time. And people need a place that they can go and, and get new ideas and good conversation. Here, here are some thoughts from other people, different angles and sides. And it's cool that you're able to provide that. Thanks for allowing me now to be a very small part of it. Hey, awesome. Thanks so much. So, folks, um, Check out the podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. It's called You'll Die Trying with Nathan Morris. Previous episodes with Dr. Jonathan Carroll as well. So we'll see him probably a little bit in the future. You never know how that goes with a podcast. You're seeing a lot of me without Ryan recently. So um, you'll be hearing that story too. So as always, folks, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. We love it when you do that. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, do it right there on undertakingthepodcast.com and hit that Be a Guest button. Send us a message whether you want to be a guest or not. We'd love to hear from you. And since Ryan's not here, I got to say it. Rock and roll, folks. All right. Another episode in the bag. You know, you are like the company you keep. Lay with the dogs, you get the fleas. You've heard it all. Surround yourself with good people, people with integrity, people who are like-minded, people who want to do well, exceptionally well. Brian Waters, they at Undertaking the Podcast. They are that. Striving, always striving, always working to better themselves, not only in the podcast, but in their family-owned professions as well as they care for families in their communities. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Time is irreplaceable it's the most precious resource really i mean think about it you can't replenish it so for you to take time today means a lot to me and of course those that undertaking the podcast follow me on insta at nathan morris follow me on insta at feel that trying podcast follow me on tiki talkie at nathan morris music and we'll see you around the bend 